0: We're on track to gross a million this year. We've only been open for four months.
1: You're listening to the Next Generation Podcast, weekly interviews with the most interesting and successful 20 somethings out there. For anyone that might not know, um, maybe do like a quick, you know, intro on some of your background, what you've been up to, and then um, we can start chatting about your uh, Airbnb
0: business. So I am. 25 and grew up in Texas for half my childhood. And then in Idaho for the other half, my childhood, very entrepreneurial family, uh, was homeschooled. I'm one of 10 siblings. Um, so great upbringing. We had lots of family businesses. I was very, very entrepreneurial as a kid. I mean, from the time I was six years old, I had a business and I was designing logos and making catalogs, (laughs) always doing something, uh, from a soda pop business to, uh, buying old antique typewriters and restoring them and reselling them to, uh, a beef jerky business, uh, kind of everything in between. Um, so, uh, when I was 17, 18, well, actually all throughout high school worked summers in our family construction business started gaining a lot of experience there. Um, when I was 19, became a project manager, um, and on some pretty big multi-million dollar jobs started running those. And so ended up working in that arena for six years or so, got a lot of experience, um, uh, in commercial construction. Uh, my grandfather actually was a custom home builder in Texas and built some pretty cool places, kind of the the top of the top in terms of, uh, how custom houses, uh, very, very, uh, you know, multi multi-million dollar, 15, 20,000 square foot houses. So I, I had some exposure being able to, you know, go ride, ride to work with him every now and again, you know, there were a lot of influences in the family of, uh, from construction and just sort of a, uh, philosophy of perfection and everything that we did. And, uh, that, that really permeated through. So when I was, uh, just a few years ago, moved back down to Texas from Idaho and, uh, started my own construction development company there. Uh, also, simultaneously started a bookkeeping and tax accounting business. I I was I, I had some experience there, actually, in some of the family businesses growing up as well. Be- became an enrolled agent, which is similar to a CPA, uh, just a, focusing on tax, taxes, tax preparation, tax planning. So, started a cloud accounting business called Accountable. Um, still have that. I've, it's kind of on the back burner because I, I have other things. Uh, I enjoy more, but having that experience also was very, it helped round me out and, and has helped me, uh, think in systematized ways, even about the way I, I work, uh, but started synergy development, built a spec house last year, and then built to uh, live Oak Lake. So modern Scandinavian is a big thing here in the Pacific, in the Pacific Northwest, I say here, uh, where I lived for 10 years, uh, you know, Seattle, Washington, the whole area. And you don't see a lot of that in Texas yet, but, um, really, really love just clean, minimal design. And so I've been collecting these cabin ideas. And, uh, finally, when I, when I moved back down to Texas, found a piece of property, just the right place, five acre piece with a little pond on it. Um, it was pretty rough. It was pretty much a jungle, but definitely saw potential with it. And so my wife and I purchased that. And, uh, to long story short, we can get more into this, but we purchased that in Mar- Mar- March 30th. We closed of 2021, and then Jan- January 15th of 2022, we opened the doors to our oh, first nice. guests. So we have seven really, really high end, stunning uh, cabins nestled around the lake, and a commons area, super nice outdoor amenities, and just a super beautiful spot. So.
2: Man, that's that's crazy because I've never heard of like basically breaking ground to actually renting out your first unit within, I guess, what what, is, what does that come down to? Like seven, eight, nine months and a, a half a month.
0: Yes, nine and a
2: half. That's unreal. That's That's gotta be incredible. So um, there's a lot of ways that we could take this conversation, you know, probably anything from like your accounting service to like how you kind of sold that first house. I think you made $200,000 off that first house you sold if I, if I read that correctly. But one of the things I personally am interested in is at this point right now, you're 25 and I know almost exactly zero people, I guess one now of people who are in like 20 or 25 and like running their own real construction business, right? Because that to me always kind of seems like something that you do when you're older, for some reason, I don't know why it just has that stigma to it. I would love to get a better understanding too, with like your upbringing, where I believe if I, if I read correctly, you were homeschooled growing up. um, And so like probably spent a lot of time with like siblings and family and all of that kind of stuff. When you were growing up in this entrepreneurial household and selling beef jerky and all of that kind of stuff, were you guys learning all of the, nitty gritty behind like design construction building and all of that kind of stuff. Or is it something that you kind of just started picking up a little bit more once you were 19 and getting onto construction sites as that project manager?
0: No, it was, it permeated my childhood. Uh, my dad had a plumbing company. My grandpa was in home building. Um, when, when we moved to Idaho is when my dad started the general contracting business. But I mean, yeah, from the time, as early as I can remember, I was, you know, on, uh, Days off, or in the summer, whatever, going to jobs with my dad or with my grandpa or whatever. My brothers were more into construction than I was. Even I think, just to back up, I think the biggest gift that uh, they gave me was just having such a uh, so many opportunities as a. And I think homeschooling uh, affords this if, if it's done right, but so many opportunities to pursue so many different interests. Um, I'm. I, I'm very curious by nature. And so always wanting to try something new, which can also have its uh, negative sides if you're not, because you also need to learn character and to stick with something to have grit uh, to see something through. But so the character was being developed along the way still is being, <laughs> uh, but no, as far as construction, I, I, I was in those contexts and those settings ever since I can remember. So it was kind of always Second nature, you know, learning how to do building projects, building a chicken coop. We, we, we had a little farm growing up, so lots of farm animals and there was always some project we were working on. So
1: on the um, on the homeschooling side, how do, you, how do you think that might have obviously probably give you significantly more exposure to a lot of the family businesses and kind of times to, you know, interact with everyone and, and be around the family? R- Reflecting on that now, do you think you would homeschool your kids in a similar fashion? Do you think that was a substantial part of, you know, who you are today, or how do you kind of view that versus our classic academic system?
0: Absolutely, um, I can't think of a better educational experience and childhood than than the one I had. Uh, and we we're we we're part of it. We're not just you know I think homeschooling and and it's changed it's changed a lot over the last couple decades um, since it first kind of became a thing. Um, and there are still a lot of bad examples and a lot of good examples, frankly. Um, but to give a little bit more context there too, we we were not an isolated family in the sense that, you know, we're, there's a stereotype maybe of a big family that homeschools that, uh, you know, is pretty independent and doesn't have a lot of interaction with the rest of the world. That wasn't, that wasn't us. We are situated, we were situated, uh, in a, agrarian Christian community growing up. So a lot of interaction with other families, other kids, um, but not even just in close in the sense of just inside that community. We we're very open. Um, the, the community I'm talking about in Texas, we were part of has hundreds of thousands of people come through a year. We're very, very, uh, open. And, uh, uh, so a lot of exposure to, and then of course, just working in these different environments with the construction business and, we have a cheese, ma- a creamery, a bakery, um, uh, several Airbnb's, in the family. Other other businesses. So having all of these different outlets was a great way to have exposure to you know other people and other perspectives. And we also travel a lot, which is a huge benefit, um, as so many people know, if if you have that opportunity. And so I think just as far as the cultural uh, environment was pretty phenomenal to. Um, uh, developing well-rounded people. Uh, and I'm not saying that I'm I'm not saying I'm the most well-rounded person. I'm just saying I, I I had a lot given to me. So a lot put into me through that. As far as the education experience, uh, that was also absolutely phenomenal. Um, my, both my parents are very bright and, uh, uh, love to teach. And the, the homeschooling process for us at least was much more of a lifestyle in the sense that, uh, there were very relational lessons. I mean, of course we had our grammar and our math and our writing and our history and the the core fundamentals of of education, but uh, so much of it was brought into relational aspects of running a business or of working, you know, living on a farm or and studying nature, or whatever it might be having history lessons around the dinner table. So it was a very holistic uh, experience growing up.
2: A lot of our audience here Similar to yourself, young entrepreneurial likes to go and like get their hands dirty and like anything from like small businesses growing up to now, like you're actually taking on seriously big projects where like you've got seven A-frames. And I think if I if I read the tweet correctly, you know, you're making over half a million dollars per year just operating and running these different short-term rentals. I would love to get a better understanding where I think, and i maybe this is my personal bias here it's almost super intimidating thinking about things from like a new construction side of things. Right. Uh, like in my mind, I'm like, wow, that probably cost a ton of money. I don't even know where to begin. I guess you got to buy land and then you got to get it zoned properly. And then you have to go and like reach out to like design and architectural and engineering firms, and all of that kind of stuff. So this might be somewhat of a loaded question, but I'd love to kind of get a better understanding in terms of like, Well, I guess how you approach this project. Was it like there's three to four to five phases? And that's like kind of once I buy the land, then I'm gonna go and like excavate the land and make sure that it's like you know, livable to like start building. And then I gotta go and do these city permits. Like, what were like the maybe four or five steps to maybe break it down and make it a little bit more attainable? And then I after
1: that, I would love to kind of know like what are the steps after this. I also want to kind of quickly jump in, even before that. Like, did you sit down and say, Hey, I'm gonna go build an Airbnb compound or you know, maybe take even one step further. How, how did you even come up with this at all?
0: So all of these different experiences I had and uh, work endeavors have, I feel like, kind of really prepared me for Live Oak Lake. Um, which, yes, you mentioned it's 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 a huge success so far, and I'm very thankful for that, and I'll hopefully continue to to grow, um, but uh, and and be a springboard for my next projects. But I, I guess I would say first. Now that that project is behind me and it's functioning like a well-oiled machine, um, I've never had so much fun and felt so much passion doing one thing as I as I have with that. So that you know, with with the diversity of experiences and uh, business pursuits and everything else I've done, that was super cool. And the reason being is working, especially in the construction, you know, which is environment, which is where I had most of my experience. I had the opportunity to, I was working on these big commercial projects. So I was working with already inside of a team where there's engineers, there are architects, there are, you know, planning and, and, uh, city people, permitting people involved. There's an owner. I'm the contractor. So there's, there's a team, different perspectives. And there there's elements of that. It's obviously extremely, um, educational for you know the opportunities that I had as, as a young person to to gain that experience and to be a, to to play that role but there's also some frustrating aspects to the way things work and I realize it's the way things have to work in a in an environment like that but when you're you know unnecessarily uh, hindered and sort of from my perspective being kind of having this mind for design as well you know you you don't want to you can't put the architect's hat on that's their job you do what they say, and you interpret the plans and, and build with what they're designing. But so I always had sort of this desire, especially through these experiences, to 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 play all those roles together—to be the owner, to be the developer, to be the contractor, to be the designer, uh, to have the vision. And so um, this idea was a long time coming uh, through through these different experiences—to um, be an entrepreneur, to start a business, to start a brand, to market it. <coughs> so. Um, as far as the nuts and bolts of how we did it, um, uh, uh so, uh, I think I know know for
2: what it's worth, I know for what it's worth, that's a very loaded question of like, this was like years of planning and prep and building. So like, I don't want you to like have to feel like you're oversimplifying it like crazy, but I'm more just like in my mind right now, it's so unattainable. The idea of going out and like building a house, like I could not tell you where to begin. I would love it if it's almost like, Hey, here's like the five things that you should be thinking about. And like, maybe we don't go into a ton of detail on each of those five.
0: Sure. As far as, like, I, I hate I hate to phrase it in such a way as like, this is what you should be doing because each person has a different experience. Like for me, I guess I take a lot for granted because I didn't hire an architect. I was able to draw up some plans off of ideas I had, but you know, somebody else may have zero eye for design. Um, and so that may be a huge hurdle for them. And yes, they need to get somebody involved. So I'll just give my perspective and break it down very simply as far as the way I was thinking and where, you know, the way I tackled it. Uh, First of all, throughout the project, it, it was very spontaneous in a sense. Like I had, when the property came up for sale, it had been for sale for four hours when I saw it on Zillow. I went out that day, made a cash offer because property in Central Texas is extremely hot and goes very quickly. Made a cash offer, was accepted. From that moment, we had a month until closing. I was working crazy, designing things, coming up with a schedule, coming up with a budget being in the construction experience, yeah, construction field, I already had some of these skills so I could make, you know, a Gantt chart. I could, uh, come up with a b- basic estimate, even without getting su- prices from every subcontractor. And, um, so I was putting these skills to use and, and of course, I had to figure out the financing aspect, which a lot of people are curious about this. We put just we $0.1 million into the project. Um, I had to get a construction loan for the for the construction. I, we bought the land with cash. Um, it was like twenty seven thousand acres, so about one hundred thirty eight thousand for five point one acres. Uh, then I had to convince a bank. I, I had to go through like three different banks. The first two thought I was too young and inexperienced uh, to do this, and unfortunately, they missed out on the project. But I found the third bank was very agreeable, and I had my dad and my brothers as guarantors as well. Um, so their minority partner in the project, just because they had a lot more liquidity with, with the construction business in Idaho. Um, and we're, you know, obviously all on board with my idea of, to do it. So, uh, we, I got a construction loan. The problem was the appraisal came in quite a bit less than it even cost us to build it. So I was projecting originally it was going to cost 1.6 million to build their appraisal though, only came in at point. Three million uh, or one point four, so and then they they this is before too loan, built. so that this yeah, was exactly kind of projected based off of loan. plans. Right, exactly, okay. yeah. You give them some plans and and your general idea, and I even gave them a schedule of values with my estimated cost. But anyway, uh, <clears throat> so then they'll loan eighty percent loan to value usually on the appraisal for the construction loan. So we ended up financing about one point two million, and then we put nine hundred thousand dollars of cash into the project between my dad, and my brothers, and I. Um, however, to, to close that loop now it's been, you know, whatever, 13, 14 months later, we're in the process of refinancing. We're almost to have, we've already been approved on the, on the new loan, which the appraisal now came in at 3.1 million. So we're actually pulling out the entire project cost 2.1 plus $400,000. Um, that's 80% plus 400, of $400,000. That's yeah. That's awesome. Which in all honesty, the brand, the business and brand is actually worth at least five million with the kind of cash flow we have plus the real estate. But anyway, uh so I we got the loan figured out. I was working overtime to <clears throat> convince the bank to actually get behind the project and uh you know pulling together financials and, and all of that. Um and then at the same time though, you know, com- conceptualizing, actually drawing out the designs. Um Thankfully, a big factor here with building a development like this is zoning and permitting. Thankfully, the, the lot we chose, and this was just very fortunate, uh, that we, we found this lot is just outside of Waco city limits. Uh, so it's in basically unzoned County property, um, which means that you're basically good to go with whatever you want to do. As long as you're not inside of a floodplain, which we're not, um, the county can't really do anything. You have to submit you know, an application that shows what you're doing, but they can't even really reject it as long as you, you tell them you, you dock your eyes and crush your teeth. So we submitted the application. We had three inspections of our own uh, inspectors to basically, they don't even have an inspecting team in the county. You you The way it works here, you, you hire a real estate inspector or an architect or an engineer, or plumbing inspector, whatever, and they'll come out and do a private inspection along the way just to document. Um, so that was a huge, uh, uh, benefit to us that, that also enabled us to get it done in such a tight timeframe. Um, but then just being the general contractor was, was the other thing. I mean, lead times are, have been insane. They still are for things like windows doors, you're three, four months out appliances, six months out. So I had to really stay ahead of the curve and be ordering all of these different components. And a lot of it, I'll just, <laughs> I'll be honest was seat of my pants, like I would it's hard to quantify, you know, and come up with a without hiring a team of architects, and engineers, come up with every single aspect and component of the design, especially when the design is still still being conceived as you go. Um and, and you know, schedule that out. So I had the general idea for the trajectory of the project, how that was supposed to what that was supposed to look like. Um, but but as we went, I mean, it was a constant game of remembering as I'm laying in bed at night, oh, I've got to think about such and such, or I've got to look into uh, uh, you know furniture because I need to be getting that on ordered because I know that that's a super long lead time for for what I want. So then I had to get a storage container on site and get it ordered. And all of these different moving components that you have to think of and stay ahead of if you're going to pull it off on that kind of a time frame. So um, I, I haven't really answered your question, but it's, it's difficult for me to uh, sort of give guidance on what someone else should do. I guess if depending on their skill level, depending on their, assuming that they do not have a construction background or much like you, for instance, from what you were saying, um, you're going to be more of a, it's, it, it's definitely not going to happen on this timeline. I, I would say that the timeline we we had was absolutely the fastest you could ever pull a project like that off. And the only reason that was possible was because, I was pretty much filling every role in in terms of the key roles of developing a project from design to contracting, managing subcontractors to financing, to schedule, all of these different elements. Um, But of course, you you can surround yourself if everybody knows to network with people. If you surround yourself with people, if you have a team of people, a partnership, even people that bring different strengths or different experiences to the table, I think it's very possible. Um, And I'm sure there's actually if I had had that luxury of even having other people, uh, if it is a luxury, which it certainly can be in some environments of, of having other people sort of part of a partnership or team. Um, you know, if I had had a partner who's an architect, it's hard for me because I, I enjoy all of those elements so much. And I'm just a very impatient person by nature. So it's like, that's what I said was frustrating to me about working in the commercial construction environment. You're sort of at the mercy of all these other people on their schedule on their idea of what's supposed to look good or whatever. And, and that's all great. You know, that's basically just the system of having cogs in a wheel and and everything works together and great, but, um, I'm much more creative of a person. Uh, so anyway, it's, it's hard for me to answer the question of what to do, but yeah, the, the, the main chunks, the main buckets of the project, so to speak, are, Coming up with a vision first and foremost of what is this supposed to be? Because that was very important to the overall to selling the, the project to the bank, even, you know, projecting cash flow, uh, showing comparisons to similar properties or w- whatever, coming with a on, vision.
1: On, on that note, how did you, how did you even get to an estimate of like, did you just go on Airbnb and look at similar cabins near Waco and I don't know, go to like AirDNA and figure out some sort of occupancy rate? And how did you even come to the kind of pro forma section of the analysis?
0: Uh, it was pretty intuitive. I, I just believed in it. Um, I do have a, a lot of friends in Waco specifically that have uh, 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 container home, actually. Airbnbs is kind of what they specialize in. So they take shipping containers and turn them into really cute little Airbnbs. And so I had actually, I'm, I said, I'm very curious. I'm always asking questions everywhere I go, anyone I can find to learn about anything. But So I'd already definitely done some uh, recon on the local market. Um, which a lot of people actually said was oversaturated, but my, my thesis was if we build something that's unique enough and that's high class enough. And there's, like I said, I mean, I think in Texas, that's pretty unique. uh, There's really nothing like that in the whole state, not just the area. So my, I I was like, if we can actually execute on this vision there uh, with this modern Scandinavian feel with around the ponds, very Pacific Northwest feeling, it's just super, uh, very, very much an experience going there. Then people are going to prioritize this, and then I also knew that the social media aspect and the branding was going to be very important to market this to a broad range of people, um, it, it, not just people coming through Waco, so to speak. You know, looking for a place to stay, but actually. Uh, dest- and creating a destination where people actually come, especially families. We're very family oriented. People actually come and base their whole vacation around where they're staying. So, a lot of it was intuitive and just believing in the vision. I had a lot of people along the way say, "You're you're spending too much money," or um, "You know, if the market's oversaturated or whatever." And I had to sort of go with my gut on a lot of that. But I also knew Waco is a huge destination now for like home design because of Magnolia.
2: Yeah. I was going to say also what's nice about Waco too, and maybe my Texas geography will serve me somewhat here
0: is that you guys are right in between Dallas and Austin. Exactly. So, um, exactly. We're, we're halfway in between. So a lot of people, uh, uh, stuck in these metropolitan areas wanting to take a vacation. That's our kind of our target audience, especially Dallas Fort Worth because Austin has the hill country, which is, um, couple hours within a couple hours, hour to two hours of, of Austin. It's kind of like the Napa Valley of Texas. And um, there's, a, there's a lot of vacation and tourism out there, but Dallas doesn't really have anything like that around. So, but between all the Texas, the main Texas cities, Houston, San Antonio, and, and ideally combine multiple, like what we have is I think very unique also because we can host such a spectrum of people. I mean, we have family reunions, because we have seven cabins, we have corporate retreats. Uh, we have of, pl- of course, plenty of just individual families or couples or individuals, whoever. We have a huge spectrum of people we can cater to um, because of the multiple units on the same property. So
1: you're very much kind of a marketing play in terms of right? You're not just building a commodity product and you know renting out a hotel room. you're pitching it as the you know getaway, very much a destination location people are going to your property because of the design and you know all the amenities around there. And it, it's pretty interesting because I think you, you said maybe you got banned on Airbnb right in the beginning. You had a whole Instagram strategy. What was your initial thought on how you were going to market this? How did that change? And how did you actually manage to get, you know, and then I think you kind of partnered with some influencers there and now you have a lot of direct bookings. What did that marketing strategy kind of look like?
0: Yeah. I knew it was going to be very direct bookings would be very important to us in the long term for just the value of the brand and the business. Um, so we developed, I had a website being built as we were, uh, uh, finishing the project. So that was ready when we were done. Um, I also, I didn't really start social media until we started the, until we launched, um, because I wanted to have really high quality content. Um, I didn't really document the construction process much, but, uh, Yeah. You mentioned being suspended on Airbnb. That was like two weeks after we, we launched the project. I, and I, I knew this was, this was kind of always a little bit of a, um, uh, stress to me realizing that you're kind of, as they say, building your house on someone else's land and you're basing your whole business basically on, on someone else's platform. Sorry
2: to interrupt, but why did you
0: guys get suspended? So we got suspended. for There was no explanation. One day, I just looked, and we were completely like all of a sudden. I realized we're not getting any bookings, and I went on there. Since that morning or whatever, we had been suspended. So I immediately called Airbnb. They had no explanation. They said we'll escalate this to our department. But Airbnb is a big company, and and uh, you know they they couldn't help me right away. So I mean, I was that lit a fire underneath my feet. So, long story short four days later, they reinstated our account. And the explanation was we had basically had too many good reviews in too short of a time. I had invited a ton of friends and just people I knew to come stay. And so I think their algorithm actually picks up on connections, which these were totally legitimate reservations. I mean, it's not like I gave them their night for free. These people actually booked through Airbnb. Some of them, yes, I did know um, because I was trying to gain traction. It's very important, obviously, when you're launching to have good reviews. Um, so anyway, that was really, really frustrating. Um, I don't hold a grudge against Airbnb. I feel like they shot themselves in the foot by doing that because it really lit a fire underneath my feet to, to, to get the direct booking things going. So I immediately came up with the a, built a, a page with the booking engine through our property management software, which basically integrates the calendars of various OTAs like Airbnb, Verbo, booking.com. Um, it does a lot of other things too, automated messaging and, uh, pricing, you know, dynamic pricing. So I both bu- built the page, but then I realized, you know, we we're going to have to have some kind of audience to actually funnel people to the page. Um, so, and I'm still learning in this regard, but I started some Google ads, Instagram and Facebook, you know, I just started Instagram and Facebook. Um, I mean, I spent hours on Instagram just really sorting it, trying to figure out there were other similar accounts that i was following that you know had inspired me that have similar uh concepts and so i was trying to figure out whether what are these people doing how how they get traction i finally sort of realized nobody told me i just realized it should have been obvious probably to me that, that the best way to do this was to work with bloggers and to find the right niche of texas travel bloggers specifically so i started doing that and i ended up um, I've tweeted about it, but I think I spent like six thousand um, dollars in in paying various ones of them that were really great and had good audiences. In addition to that, I gave I gave away probably thirty nights by now in free nights, so it's it's definitely not an insignificant expense, an investment here. But my argument is, is as I've made on Twitter, it absolutely pays for itself many many times over. Not only have I grown my audience to forty thousand people in four months on Instagram. Um, and opened, you know innumerable amount of doors through that. We've been on a national TV show now, which is coming out later this year. Uh, we have another one upcoming that we're gonna be filmed on. We've had uh, all kinds of opportunities, very influential YouTubers and various people come. So not only has it opened all these other doors, but it's brought in, over well over a hundred thousand dollars just in direct booking revenue and now pushed us to the place with this audience where we're getting sixty five to seventy percent of all bookings through the direct website. So my that's phenomenal.
2: Uh, is that also the mar- the margin on that's got to be even more substantial than any of these other platforms as well.
0: yeah, you make ten to fifteen percent more plus with that's after passing you know, say five percent savings to to the guests, uh, you own the reservation. so, they can't just cancel it on you without Airbnb can't just pull out the carpet underneath you for no reason. Which Airbnb is pretty great, but sometimes there are sketchy things that happen, like being <laughs> suspended. Um, you also can market back to the customers directly because you have their email, their phone number, their, their data. Um, uh, so it's the benefits like far outweigh, and you just have much better loyalty to your brand. Um, so the benefits are phenomenal and worth a very high investment. I mean, when I, when I did that first, my first partnership with a travel blogger, I, I, paid the, I paid them $950. They did a giveaway post. So simple giveaway concept to the people to enter into the giveaway, have to follow my account and their account and have to tag a friend. Um, I gained 5,000 followers from that probably had $40,000 worth of bookings from that at least. Um, and had, uh, yeah, $5,000. Yeah. Per, that's probably like, I don't know, 60 nights booked off of one. So after that happened, I was like, Oh my goodness, wow. I don't care how much I'm going to spend. This is what I'm going to do. So I, I also started working with photographers. So I'd comp their stays. They would come take pictures. And some of them, I, you know, actually paid quite a bit that I still have projects in the works that are, 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 are doing work for me to have high quality content to post. Cause I realized, you know, I don't want to be tricking people into following me and they're not going to follow me anyways. If, if, if that's all, if it's just about, you know, following some random account that posts crazy stuff. So I want to have like a really, really beautiful professional feed and I'm still learning in all of these things. I'm, I'm, i can still improve, I'm sure. But when I realized that after that first partnership, I was like, this is where I'm going to focus all of my effort and it's paid off, but it's, it's definitely, been an investment of time. I mean, I spend a couple hours on Instagram each day. Um I, not 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 playing around, actually working, figuring things out, interacting with people. I and then also in monetary expense and uh giving away free stays. But because I had 7 cabins to start with, I had some flexibility. I could give away, you know, 7 times 365 nights a year. That's whatever, 2200 nights in a year. So 30 30 mm-hmm. nights given away actually isn't that big of a deal when you have seven units.
1: This is a perfect combo in my mind of showing how like hey, you have social media skills now combined with real estate, combined with marketing, combined with a website, and now you have a wildly profitable and, and super successful kind of hospitality business that is a culmination of a bunch of these random, not random, but a bunch of these adjacent, um, you know, marketing strategies that people typically weren't doing before, right? Hiring influencers to come out and, and free stays seems a bit more profitable when, when, you know, when it's real estate than if you're just trying to sell a trinket online. So I think it's a really cool example of how that works. Have you, have you attacked the kind of TikTok market yet or mostly just
0: on Instagram right now? I have TikTok. I think I have like 1700 followers. Um, I understand. I mean, I, I got TikTok when I start Live Oak Lake I never I don't use it personally I I'm not a huge fan of the platform like honestly so I I feel like it's important to be on every platform so that's why I have some presence there but I certainly could grow that and optimize that I'm sure and I probably will hire people um especially like with Instagram Reels and TikTok uh, and YouTube right. Shorts I think there's a, a huge opportunity there I just don't really have the time to put into it like I like I want to so I'm probably going to h- outsource that
1: What is your um what is kind of the whole management side now look like because right this is kind of a hospitality business this is in no way really a passive um you know operation that you're running i'm assuming you're not just kind of collecting the rent and and forgetting about it what does that kind of look like and what are some of the challenges you've seen there
0: been very hands-on since we started um so we found a great cleaning team for one that's the most important part of this whole aspect of the experience reliable high quality cleaners um we pay them piecework. We pay them $95 per clean. We charge $133 for the cleaning fee, but that covers our other expenses. And I actually have a facility on site with commercial laundry equipment, which isn't cheap, um, and storage and everything. So they, it's really nice for them. They can come and sort of be based out of that facility. Whereas a lot of other Airbnbs, you know, the cleaners just sort of have to either do it in the unit, which isn't ideal because it's usually not really rated for that high... Usage or take it somewhere else, so they don't have to leave the site, which is nice. Um, So then, the PMS I mentioned, we use Hostaway uh, property management software. There's Guesty is another big one. There's Uplisting. There's there's a whole uh, spectrum of these different softwares. I haven't on. I did a lot of research before I committed because I knew it was going to be kind of a long term commitment. It's hard to switch. I'm I'm relatively satisfied with Hostaway. There's definitely some glitches and workarounds I've had to come up with, but so I'm always looking to find and maybe someday I'll develop my own but the the perfect software but um, yeah there's multiple software components that actually integrate together so we have dynamic pricing uh, which I use wheelhouse for you got to set you know some kind of pricing strategy give it certain parameters um, that integrates with the PMS so it pushes those rates to the calendars uh, and depending on the channel you can set different percentage markups depending on how much the channel charges their guests or you know they each one does it differently of course the direct bookings um there is no channel fee um and then there's i also have a lot of smart home components i wanted to automate this as much as possible but you're exactly right there is definitely this element of human interaction and even just hospitality that you want to offer personalized experience to these people so it's finding that balance between automation and uh human resources, but in a very most efficient way possible. So I have, you know, like the thermostats, the door locks, um, I've got noise monitors, carbon carbon monoxide and smoke detectors, all of these different components that are all smart home integrated. So, uh, basically for instance, like the software knows when a guest is coming. And so it will adjust the temperature down to my set range, two hours before the guest gets there. And once the guest checks out, it it opens it way back into a, a much wider range. So you're actually saving energy. You know, depending on if it's it warmer so if smart. it's in the summer, colder if it's in the winter. Um, so it's that's that's very energy efficient. Um, then I've got you know like the door locks. I've got these different softwares integrating where when a new reservation is created, it it creates a completely unique four digit code, which spits it through a formula in the message that is automated that goes to the guest that says your door code is such and such. so I never even see it. I mean, if I want to, I can go look at it. But it only works for the, the time of their stay from two hours before to an hour after whatever my parameters are. So it's completely secure there. Um, and then the automated messaging is another big thing with the property management software, you know, so it's coming up with a, a, a sequence of messages from reservation creation to asking them for a review when when once they've left, um, so I've, I've definitely been fine-tuning those processes. Uh, and then, from like a maintenance perspective, I've just hired somebody part-time. I'm I'm paying them like two hundred dollars a week, um, and they I kind of developed a routine checklist of various maintenance items that they need to complete. And also, just part of it is just you know being putting eyes on the property at like three times a week, so they can just check on things while I'm gone. Like for instance, I'm in Idaho for six weeks. I was in Israel for three weeks a month ago, and that was kind of my test run to see how this would all work this system I've created. So I've got them. I've really got two people that are part time, very part time. So I've got that maintenance manager and then also a guest communications manager. So um, their job is basically, you know, the the messages are automated, but there's always going to be some question, or sometimes there is a question as to, you know, where can we find such and such, or what do you recommend for this, or whatever. And so Um, we want to be very responsive and helpful to those people. So uh, I have somebody basically just constantly monitoring messaging. And now we've grown, we've gotten so much publicity. It's, there's also just a lot of inquiries we're fielding, whether that be our phone number, our email address, Instagram, direct messages, Facebook.
2: Yeah. Is that, is that guest communication manager? Are they based in the U S?
0: Yes. Yeah. That's just a friend of mine. I I pay them 175 bucks a week. So it's like five hours, six hours a week total. They have flexibility. So they can easily add this into it. And they're really great at that. I could outsource that to somebody else, but I, I like to be able to keep it more relational, more personal, more local. So.
2: You strike me as the kind of person, especially like seeing how detail oriented you are with the design and like how you're talking about, like working through a project scope, like you've got a big vision for what you're building here. And the fact is like you're 25, you've built seven, a frame cabins. Like I believe, uh, you know, like basically earning over half a million dollars a year As you go and set up all of these systems and automate things and like get the processes really, really down, is the next step here over the next couple of years to like basically really build out um, Live Oak? Or is it to go and like take what you did here and repeat it, you know, 20 more times throughout Texas, Idaho, wherever else you want to go and kind of replicate that at?
0: That's a good question. And I'm still deciding what to do. Live Oak Lake. Though is it's five point one acres. We I, I've got a picture on my website and and on Twitter, but we we uh, made the most of every square foot. So there's nothing more that we can really do there. Like we seven cabins, we didn't want to put them right on top of each other either. We wanted some space between them. So um, and that's really the goal. There was create a turnkey business brand. We're not in any. We're not. Our desire is not to sell it. We're not. We didn't build it to sell it. We would consider it if you know somebody came along and wanted to. Uh, and wanted to buy it and was willing to pay what it's worth, but it's cash flowing so well. uh, We're not in any hurry to do that. Um, As far as where to go from here uh, I've had based off Sam's tweet um, that's opened the doors like unbelievably to incredible opportunities. And I've kind of been overwhelmed of where to go because there's so many, so many doors open and just mainly with investors that want to get behind the, the idea. And I also realized though it's one of the big reasons for the success here was the fact that I was the guy, like you mentioned, got very detail oriented, but I was the guy on the ground doing all of this and you can't really scale that really well. I mean, it's a different story to say, okay, now we're going to duplicate, replicate this times 10 at the same time, unless you're going to clone yourself, which you can't do. Um, you got to actually scale a business and and things work differently. So I think where I'm generally to give you just a little tiny taste of what I'm, where I'm generally the direction I'm going. Um, I would like to create a, a national, maybe international brand, uh, with a similar vibe, minimalist, uh, out very nature focused nature, immersive, uh, uh, collections of, of, of five to 10 cabins on a piece of property in, in nature like that um, with, you know, central commons area, various outdoor amenities, the same concept, really very similar, uh, but, but a different brand that I could actually scale live Oak Lake is fairly, uh, specific to that area, obviously, but something that I could actually scale, um, as part of, you know, one unified brand of portfolio and, uh, yeah, I would love to be able to replicate the template. I've learned so many lessons along the way. I mean, you should see the notes app on my phone. It's pretty, pretty full um, and just lessons I've learned. I would love to put it yeah. into practice and 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 uh, tweak little things here and there, both in the building process and then the end uh, goal user experience.
2: Marcus, I'm down here in Costa Rica right now at the moment. And uh, I know there's like a Selena hostel down the street. Are you, are you familiar with Selena at all? No. They do some pretty cool design stuff. If you're ever interested in like kind of looking for like a little inspiration there, um, they probably got, I want to say like 100 plus hostels worldwide. But one thing that they do that's pretty unique is like they keep a very simple kind of like cool modern design across all of their facilities. Like despite the fact that you're in Thailand, Australia, Costa Rica, or like Puerto Escondido, Mexico, there's one that we were back up at uh, January earlier this year. And I feel like the cool part about how their model works is like as you kind of travel the world, like you know that Selena is very reputable when it comes to Wi-Fi connection. You know that there's a great spot to meet people because there's constantly events. And so when you go into kind of franchise this thing and like actually make it a brand, the interesting part, whether that's in all in Texas, Idaho, or you do go international that You can kind of start building up this reputation of, I know that there will be reliably clean cabins. I know that there will be maybe like every you know, Wednesdays, they do these community nights and they're a cool way to go and meet other people, like whatever the value prop is. And kind of start applying for people who are traveling and want to jump around and do kind of like these off-site retreats more often than not um and one other thing i just wanted to quickly mention that i think uh you kind of alluded to here is like i don't know how you ended up getting in contact with um sam Parr. i gotta imagine it's probably because he also does some cabin stuff in texas and i think he's got an airbnb too but i do think for anyone listening right now it's like sounds like you're getting a lot of interest from investors of people who want to like help you with your vision and scale things out and i think a lot of people especially when they're younger and in their 20s always want to go in and get these connections and meet cool people and do and do that kind of stuff and i think that always, when you do it as like your forefront intention, always kind of sets people up for failure. Cause it's like, Hey, I want to go and network with all these like interesting people. It's like, all right, well, what are you doing? Like, why do they want to network with you? Whereas like, from your perspective, like you're already doing cool shit. Like you've built a house, you've gone and built seven, a frame cabins. You've like run your own uh, cloud-based accounting firm. Right. And I think that, as a byproduct, then attracts really interesting people who want to go and associate, invest, work, partner with you, all of that kind of stuff. So just like kind of like a little, little rant there of like if you want to meet cool people and
1: attract interesting talent, you should be doing cool things yourself. Going back to the numbers side, I wanted to quickly see if you knew what your kind of overall margins were. Cause there's, it's always, always an interesting question on like the Airbnb because there is a lot of the hospitality aspect to it. You got to clean, you got to do, you know, everything you were saying. On, um, I think you're saying you bring 550 a year around plus or minus that. Um, Do you have any idea what, you know, what you kind of net after expenses on that? And then second part of that question would be, do you know what you're netting after your mortgage payments and your actual free cash flow at the end of the year?
0: So it's, as far as in an annual perspective, these are projections because we've only been open for four months, but we've also been ramping prices and also uh, increasing occupancy. So I don't think these are going to go down. Um, but no, we actually are we're on track to gross a million this year. Wow, uh we're okay. on track to net five to five fifty before EBITDA. So before yep. uh before our loan, our debt service. Um with this, we're we've got a 25 year amortization w- since refinancing the, the property uh loan at 4.95%. We got really great terms uh, in this environment um for a long-term loan like that. Uh and so pulling all the, all the cash out. So this is going to be a hundred percent of our investment. And plus, you know, we, as I said, we're, we're pulling 400 on top of that. So it's cash on cash is a little, little irrelevant here. It should be somewhere around. I think the, the, I think the annual, let me look here. It's like 13,300 a month. Um, so that's, uh, 160,000 a year. So if we bring in, let's just be conservative and say $500,000, um, of net profit, actually, including taxes and uh, depreciation, whatever else would be included in EBITDA, except for debt. Uh, If we bring in 500,000 minus the debt, that's going to bring net cash flow of of, uh, $340,000 annually. Wow. That's incredible. And
2: is is the strategy from there essentially, you know, distribute that between like you, your dad, your brother, and kind of like use that as a salary? Or are you guys planning on then taking that and kind of reinvesting it back into future projects?
0: no reinvesting uh i've got some ambitious ambitious plans like i was hinting at as far as where to go from here and there's going to be a lot of capital needed for that um definitely reinvest i'm i don't need to pull anything from this project so we 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 also considered you know just actually trying to pay it, pay the loan off as quickly as possible um i'm also kind of toying, reconsidering based off of where interest rates are going and what inflation is doing, because it may actually be smarter to, it's not a bad time to lock in debt at a low enough rate. uh, So long-term debt like that. So we'll see, we'll have the option with the 25 year amortization to pay it off much earlier if we want to, but.
2: And maybe just a dumb question, but I think people are going to be wondering this as they're listening to this. So if you're not taking a salary from um, Live Live Oak at all, are you basically paying yourself through like the accounting work and all of that kind of
0: stuff? Um, I mentioned Synergy Development, which is this contracting business I started that built, was the contractor technically on my own project. Um, so I basically paid myself a salary to build it, uh, included in that 2.1, just a minute. Like I paid myself like $40,000 for the year, something very minimal. Um, cause it, I was obviously the customer, but I also built that spec house that we made 200,000 with in the same year, you know, in five months of that, of 2021, when I was built simultaneous to, to building the cabins and I, I've considered, uh, uh, so, so I have some cushion there as far as you know, savings and whatnot from these other projects. I have in the accounting business, um, I, so I've considered as a quick turnaround doing something like another spec house potentially uh, in the in the Waco market. It's a pretty hot market right now. Um, really, I don't know if I have the energy and bandwidth for that though. Now that all these other doors are opening, so right now it's been like up until now and still now working on the systemization and implementing management and everything for live Oak Lake. So I've, I've been working full time doing all this this year since we've opened and I'm just now kind of stepping back. Um, but, uh, I'll probably right now, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sort of transitioning into this, uh, season of actually developing these plans for this future brand and even coming up with new designs and, uh, Networking with other people that can help me with various aspects of it because it's 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 a little different game when you're trying to scale this like I mentioned you need you need a bigger team and I'll probably you know end up having to actually start a real company and hire people. I've done all this stuff myself, but it's it's probably time to actually uh, scale this into a real company with um, other people working alongside me so
2: that's incredible, man. I know for a fact people who are listening to this are going to want to follow along. I mean, man, the fact that you're 25 and doing this already, I think it's really inspiring. Uh, and I know I'm going to text from Gio after this interview saying, let's go and start building some Airbnbs now. So uh, maybe some yep. questions in the future. Either way, though, uh, people want to go in and follow everything that you're working on and check out the future developments that you're building. We're going to go and check you out, Isaac.
0: Instagram and Twitter um, at Isaac French underscore at stay at live oak lake is our Instagram handle where that we've we've grown to 40,000 so far.
2: Hell yeah, man. We will link to all of that in the show notes below. Thank you again for coming on the show today, Isaac. Thanks for having me. If you thought today's episode was awesome, we would love it if you would leave a five star review on the podcast, either on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. It makes a huge difference and lets us get cooler and cooler guests for future episodes.